Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Annie Duke for the second episode in our series on decision-making, and more specifically, quitting. Annie is an author, speaker, and decision-making strategist. As a former professional poker player, she has won more than $4 million in tournament poker. During her career, Annie won a World Series of Poker bracelet and is the only woman to have won the World Series of Poker Tournament of Champions and the NBC National Poker Heads Up Championship. She retired from the game in 2012, but prior to becoming a professional poker player, Annie was awarded a National Science Foundation Fellowship to study cognitive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Today, we are discussing why quitting speeds up your progress how grit and quit are actually the same decision, and Annie tells the fascinating story about how a $25 billion company was born out of the decision to quit. If you love this episode, and I'm confident you will, then check out Annie's new book, Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. It just came out last week, and I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic and very practical read, so I'll put a link in the show notes, so grab yourself a copy. So now, it's time to lean in, and learn from the best. Annie, so last time we set the table for how quitting is a decision skill. I want to talk about two things. And you talk about this in your book about the diametrically opposed idea of grit and quitting. You know, you do need some resolve in life. Or you're not going to get anywhere. Let's talk about that. And then I want the next thing I want to ask you about is how do we start reading the signals? How do we start knowing that maybe it's time to quit? So here's the thing. It is absolutely true that in order to succeed at something, you must stick to it. That is true. It's just a fact. But what's true in retrospect is not true prospectively. So what I mean by that is that it's true. Anything I've ever succeeded at, I've stuck to. But it's not true that anything you stick to, you will succeed at. So let's just start there. And I think that's a little bit of a problem. So the thing about grit, is that it gets you to stick to hard things that are worthwhile, right? Like that's the value of grit. I mean, I really recommend people read Grit, you know, The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. It's an amazing book. And I think it's a really good companion to what I'm saying because you don't want to quit things just because they're hard. That is her point, right? Because in order to succeed at something, you will have had to stick to it. And sometimes you have lows and dips as Seth Godin would say, you know, hard stuff that's happening there and you have to be able to stick that out. So that's the great thing about grit. It gets you to stick to hard things that are worthwhile. The really bad thing about grit is that it gets you to stick to hard things that are no longer worthwhile. That That's the thing that we need to remember. So grit and quit, while we think of them as opposing forces, where grit is a virtue and quit is a vice, they are actually the same decision. Because any time that you decide to stick to something, you're deciding not to quit it. And any time that you decide to quit something, you're deciding not to stick to it. So our job as decision makers is not to think about these things as opposing forces, one of virtue and one of vice. We have to think about them as really having a conversation with each other, in fact, being the exact same decision. And that to say grit is always good and quitting things is always bad as you know the aphorisms go like winners never quit quitters never win it's not the right way to think about the decision right and our goal is to quit the things that are no longer worthwhile so what we want to do is stick to things that are worthwhile regardless of whether they're hard 
and quit the things that aren't worthwhile. Kind of, again, regardless of whether they're hard, because whether they're hard shouldn't really matter for that decision very much. Now, what happens is that what we need to remember is this. I think that one of the things that kind of holds us back from this quitting decision is that we think it's going to slow our progress down. I mean, that's what I kind of feel like, like, I've been working on this thing. I've been trying to make progress. I've been trying to move my life forward. If I quit, then it's going to slow me down. It's going to stop me in my track, right? But that's actually not true. The thing about quitting is that quitting actually speeds you up. It actually gets you to where you want to go faster. And I know that's like super counterintuitive. So let me try to explain. There's lots of things that you can stick to that are worthwhile. This is kind of the point, right? That grit can get you to stick to worthwhile things, but also things that aren't worthwhile. And if you're sticking to something that isn't worthwhile, like a career track that isn't going anywhere, or let's just say that you've invested in a stock and you're losing in the stock, right? And you know, people like, they're like, I can't sell now. I want to get my money back, right? So now you've got your money in the stock by not selling the stock and moving that money to something else that might be able to win. You're slowing down your progress toward financial well-being, right? So quitting in this case stops you from holding on to a stock that's losing, that's not a good proposition, and it moves you over to a stock that maybe could win. So we can think about our lives like as buying lots of stocks, right? Like being in different relationships or going on different dates or being in different jobs or starting different projects or different strategic initiatives, right? Or pursuing different leads if you're a seller or whatever it might be. And any time that the lead you're pursuing in a, as a seller is not worthwhile, it's a dead end lead. Anytime you're in a job that's in a dead end or a career that's in a dead end or a major that's a dead end or a relationship that's a dead end, and you're sticking to it just because you think that that's the heroic move, that that's the thing that will give you character, you're actually slowing yourself down because you're losing the opportunity to go and do something that's more worthwhile, that's going to bring you more happiness, that's going to allow you to achieve your goals much faster. If you are a high performer looking for practical resources and tools to help you think, feel, and perform your best, then sign up for my free newsletter, Adaptation. Every Friday, I'll send you cutting-edge research and practical tips you can use today. Also, when you sign up, you'll get my ultimate sleep cheat sheet, your guide to consistent, restful, and fulfilling sleep. You can sign up now by clicking the link in the show notes or going to www.ericcorum.com. Now, back to the show. It sounds to me as if there's an art and a science to this because sometimes, you know, and I'm in technology and especially when you're deploying a product, there's a lot of like, you know, are you looking at the data? Or are you going by gut feel? And, the, you know, I hear this a lot of questions at 70, 30, you know, 80, 20. But when you make a decision or you're, you're thinking about quitting, are there thought experiments that you run? Are there questions that you need to ask yourself that you can start filtering? Are there, are there things that you can start doing? Like if I continue on this path, what is the projected outcome? What's the best and worst? Like, how would you go about that? Well, let me start with a preview of the good news, which is there is something you can do about it, but let me start with the bad news. Okay, give me the bad so, news. So here's the bad news. I mean, it's Barry Starr who has done a tremendous amount of work on this topic, which is under the umbrella of escalation of commitment, which is increasing commitment to a losing cause. That's that's how, what you can think about is escalation of commitment. We have the intuition that when the world gives us the signals that we should quit, that we will. Okay, so we have that intuition. Like if we're running a marathon and we break our leg at mile eight, we all have the intuition that we'll stop running. 
but just go look up like finishing marathon with broken leg and you'll see like a gazillion stories. I'm not kidding. Like of people who, like break, well, they break their leg on like mile eight and then they like hobble to the finish line, which of course is like ridiculous when you're looking at it from the outside in, because you're like, you're risking permanent damage here. Like this, obviously, and and you think, oh, they're so silly because I would never do that. Well, put right? yourself in that position of all the time that you invested, all of the training, you're in the moment. There's a lot of That's things right. that it's easier to look from the outside than to actually be in the moment. I totally get it. You see athletes finishing games with crazy stuff, and then you're later like, they had a what with their shoulder? I think one of the right, and then they're broke. out for how many games when if they had just right. stopped, you know, this this is again that opportunity cost. It's why when the time is right to quit if you don't do it it will slow you down because those athletes like continuing with these injuries then it can often be a season ender as opposed to maybe having to sit down one sit out one game so you can see sort of like what the buildup of that decision is and it's exactly as you pointed out first of all like i love the way that daniel kahneman puts this daniel kahneman says the, the worst time to make a decision is when you're in it right so it's easy for us as outside viewers to look at it and say that was ridiculous why did they keep running that was ridiculous. They injured their shoulder. Why did they keep playing in the game? Right. It's easy for us to do that. But when you're in it, when you're facing down the decision to actually walk away, that's when it's the hardest, because that's that moment that you're going to go from failing to having failed. So think about that for a second. That's a big moment. Right. So let's go back to the stock example. It's like a simple example of this. I'm losing money in the stock. Let's say I bought it at 50. It's now trading at 25. If I keep holding it, there's some chance that it might get back to 50 and I won't actually have lost anything on the stock. But the minute I sell it, what have I done? Now I've gone from losing $25 to having lost it. When I quit the job, that's when I go from failing at the job to having failed. When I abandon the project and shut it down, that's when I go from failing to having failed. And that moment is so hard for us you know so that's that being in it right not only that you pointed out there's this issue like the biggest i think bias that has this huge influence on our inability to quit is called the sunk cost fallacy or the sunk cost effect it was first pointed out in 1980 by richard thaler nobel laureate and it's basically taking into account the time or effort or money or whatever that you've already dumped into something when you're deciding to continue on Right. Okay. So it sort of goes along with this kind of fear of waste. You said it like, but what about all the time I've put into it? Won't I have wasted it? Let's say that you're working on a project and you'll hear people say this, even in leadership roles, you've been working on a project, you've put a bunch of money into it. And now it's looking like maybe you should shut the project down, but let's say you've already put, you know, $300,000 into the project and a bunch of people's time and money and like six months. And you're thinking about shutting it down. What does everybody say? We can't do that because we'll have wasted that time or money or whatever. Then like, then what was the point of putting the money into it? You'll hear this with like public works projects. Like we can't shut it down now because we don't want to waste the taxpayer's money. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? So we're wasting the issue plenty is, of it. <laughs> right. Sorry. Sorry. Exactly. The problem is this. I, and I think this is like the simplest way to think about it. That if you're thinking about what you've already spent, that's an error because you can't waste what's already been spent. In some sense, you could think about it as that's already wasted, right? Because it's already been used up. What matters is, is the next dollar or the next minute 
or the next bit of effort that I put into this going to be worthwhile? In other words, waste is not really a backward looking problem. It's a forward looking problem. So no matter what you've already put into the project, if it's right to shut it down, continuing on would actually be the waste. That's the thing that you should be thinking about, right? And I think like Astro Teller from, from X at Google, which is the innovation hub at Google, puts it really well. He says, I'm not worried about whether I shut it down a project after I've put 2 million into it. What I care is I only put 2 million into it instead of 9 million. Because to me, I think about that as having not wasted $7 million, right? But but it's like really hard for us to think about that then, this way. I think so that's, you had a great example of, of this in your book with Butterfield, right? And Slack. I mean, y- yeah. He's building this. And that's one of the epic stories I tell people about all the time. And I was like, man, this is a beautiful example. He's building this gaming company. It's actually the second time that this has happened. But he's building this gaming company. And then all of a sudden, he's up all night. They're having amazing success. They're acquiring all these customers. And he makes the decision to quit. And it's a preemptive decision. I think in your mind, it's everything that you're talking about. He sees the you know, forget about the sunk cost, forget about the past. This isn't going in the right direction. And then he quit and then they built a 20 something billion dollar company. Yeah. So, so he's such an interesting case. So we're talking about all this like fear of waste, how hard it is to make that decision to walk away, particularly when you're in it. But then, you know, worrying about waste is a forward looking problem, not a backward looking problem. I mean, this is one of the first like shifts in our mindset that we need to make. So Stuart Butterfield, as you said, his second time around trying to create an online massive world building cooperative game. And the game, uh, he's got a company glitch and the game is called Game Never Ending. So he's making this game. It, it was described by critics as Dr. Seuss meets Monty Python. People love the game. So gamers are coming to play it, but it turns out that only only about less than 5% of the users are actually like sticking around and becoming sticky. And what do I mean by that? So we get to a point in the story where he's got 5,000 sticky users. These are people who are using the game more than 20 hours a week. So they're playing it a lot. But the problem is that, you know, over 95% of the people who come and check out the game stay for seven minutes or so. So so you can see that this is an issue, right? Because obviously what that means is that the cost to acquire customers is going to be high. But, and this is the thing that I think is so incredible about this story. He's got the backing of like Andreessen Horowitz and Excel, like these big VC firms, and he's got $6 million in the bank. So the company is flush with cash. So they decide, the founders along with the investors decide to do a big marketing push because they they understand the problem that they don't have enough of these sticky customers. And they do that for six weeks in the, the fall of 2020. They do this huge marketing push. And... It's going great. Like new users are uh, increasing like six or 7% week over week. So this is amazing. But, you know, they're doing more traditional marketing. Before they had done like word of mouth and PR. Now they're actually paying to acquire customers. So it gets to the weekend of November 11th and 12th. And they have their best weekend in terms of acquiring customers that they've ever had. Butterfield goes to sleep that Sunday night, finds himself really restless. The next morning, he writes an email to his co-founders and his investors saying, I woke up with the dead certainty that glitches over. Now you're probably like WTF. What is going on there? If I'm in Dries and Horowitz, I'm like, what is happening? Well, they, they did sort of feel, I mean, you know, yeah. this wasn't received that well, actually. But the, here's what's happening. And he explained it. He realized that given the amount that they had dumped into this marketing campaign, that 
if they continued to acquire users at the same rate, it was still going to be 31 weeks before they would break even. And that he felt that that was a huge assumption because obviously as you're marketing, you start to market to the same people. You start to go out of the core gaming audience. Each person that you're marketing to is just less likely to come into the game. So he felt to think that they could continue that six or 7% week over week was an absurd assumption. And so 31 weeks was like being super generous. Like that was the optimistic scenario that they were going to get to break even at 31 weeks. Um, and so what he just realized was it wasn't a venture scale company. And he just realized that. So he sent that out to his investors. And, and I said to him, well, did you get them to understand and agree with you? So notice he's saying it would be a waste to put more money in going forward. That's what he's saying. So this is that reverse of like, right. oh, all the time and effort and whatever we put into it. He's saying it would be a waste to keep going, going forward. And I said, did you ever get them to agree? And he said, you know, I don't actually know. I just know that they knew that if I didn't want to do it anymore, it wasn't really worth pursuing again. And, you know, he said something also that I think is really important because even when we're sort of trying to get this over for ourselves, we'll still say things like, I owe it to my employees to keep going. But his point was that when I realized that the equity wasn't worth it, I owed it to my employees to let them go mm. because I didn't want them to be wasting their time toiling away at something that wasn't actually going to work out for them because they were taking very little cash and comp. And they were, you know, clearly working for equity. And once he realized that the equity wasn't worth their time, he didn't want them to waste their time. And he just sort of put up a board and helped them to get jobs. So I want to say without knowing anything about Stuart Butterfield, that ought to be a happy ending. He returned the capital to his investors. He didn't waste $6 million more of their money. He freed his employees up when he realized the equity wasn't worth it. As he was looking forward, like he had a time machine looking at waste going forward, right? So that ought to be a happy ending in itself. But there's a coda, which is <laughs> two days later, it dawns on him that they've developed this internal communication tool, which kind of like combines the best of like texting and instant messaging and email. So you can attach files and, you, you know, you can keep it internal and you can actually, it actually allows you to log the communications within the company. And he realized that like, that's how they had been communicated. They had just built it for themselves to use it internally within Glitch. Uh, but he realized, you know what? Uh, everybody really likes this tool. Like they like using this tool. So maybe this should be what I, I'm going to actually develop. Uh, and up until this point, the tool didn't even have a name because it was just like a thing they used at Glitch. The tool, yeah. So, yeah, the tool, <laughs> right. And so he actually named it Searchable Log of All Company Knowledge, which is an acronym for Slack. So two days later, he says to the investors, hey, you know, you can be out or we're going to develop this thing called Slack. The investors all rolled their money into Slack and kept going. And obviously, we know what happened with that. So I think that there's a temptation to say that's what makes this a happy ending. But we need to remember that just the quitting when it was no longer worthwhile to continue on its own is a happy ending. The lesson here, actually, is that when this has to do with that, like, you know, quitting speeds you up. When he was developing Glitch, you know, you get this myopia for the thing that you're working on where you can't see the other opportunities that are available to you anymore. It took quitting glitch for him to be able to see this unicorn that was right under his nose. Slack was there the whole time, but he couldn't even, he couldn't see it until he quit the other thing. Then he could see it. And then he could start to develop that. And I think that that's such an important lesson is that when you're sticking to something, particularly something that isn't worthwhile, you're denying yourself the opportunity to maybe go find a Slack. And sometimes you'll find it and sometimes you won't. 
But when the thing you're doing isn't working, you want to give yourself, you know, the opportunity to try. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you found value in this episode, please take a screenshot of the episode and share it on your favorite social media platform. Make sure to tag me and Annie and let us know what you learned. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.